Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. Well, we'd like to introduce Maddie Rinaldi, a candidate for Newton City Council Ward 1 at large to replace the late city councilor Jay Sassone. She's running against John Oliver for the seat for the March 16th election. Maddie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. So uh, our first question for you is, what do you think Newton needs now more than anything else? Mm, that's a great question. I think Newton needs two kinds of leadership now. First, it needs young leadership that's that's brave and that sort of meets the urgency of the moment that we're in. Um, and also bold leadership that understands that there are a lot of really big problems and crises facing us right now, whether it's, you know, widespread racial injustice, our housing crisis, climate change. And we need, you know, leadership and, and elected officials who understand that the stakes are really high um, and that, you know, we need to, Newton needs to be a leader in solving a lot of these problems, not a follower. Um, and I think there's no better sort of group to do that than young people, because we understand we have the most to lose for a lot of these problems. And I mean, thankfully, a lot of us, you know, unfortunately had to grow up around political activism and organizing because we have the most at stake, like I said. And because of that, we've really learned how to step up and how to lead when the time comes to you know, lead mass movements, to run for office ourselves. And so I think what Newton really needs is young leaders who represent a demographic of our city that just unfortunately isn't being represented at the city level because they don't have much representation on the council or otherwise, but also young leaders who understand that we need to think bigger and bolder about how we address a lot of city issues. Um, and so I'm hoping to bring sort of that fresh perspective, but also that urgency on a lot of really important issues to the council. So let's talk about those issues. You've mounted a progressive campaign focused on all sorts of issues ranging from climate change to racial justice. But if yeah. you had to give your elevator pitch as to what your plan for city council is with your background, well, what would it be? Yeah, so my elevator pitch really is that Newton needs to walk the walk more than we talk the talk, which is unfortunately what we do a lot of right now. We espouse a lot of commitments to inclusivity, to progressivism, to equity. But when it comes to bold action on issues like, like affordable housing, to you know commit to inclusive zoning redesign, to fund public investment behind affordable housing, we sort of shy away and don't make those big decisions. So I think you know it looks like investing in green energy, green infrastructure, investing in net zero buildings, you know, prioritizing affordable housing, eradicating racial injustice, not just in our, you know, administration of public safety, but our local economy and in our schools. Um, there are ways that we can, you know, find solutions that are synergetic that allow us to tackle multiple of these problems at once. And so I think I'm really excited for bold solutions that, you know, allow us to complement the different goals that we have. And I think that the main issues that I'm really excited and, and energized to get into would be housing, climate, transit access and racial justice, as well as an equitable recovery from COVID-19. If you were elected to office, how would you work with different government officials on a local, state, and federal level? I think if there's anything I've really learned from political you know, advocacy experience is the importance of building a team and building a coalition. And there's this sort of mantra in political organizing that there are no permanent friends and there are no permanent enemies. Um, 
which is, you know, something I'm looking to take into experience as a legislator. You know, every initiative, every ordinance, every, you know, bill, docket item, whatever, is an opportunity for you to big, build as big of a coalition as you can, regardless of past disagreements with various officials on an issue, which is how I'm going to look to legislate, you know, never ruling anyone out because of how we may have diverged on a different issue. I think there's a lot of work that local officials can do, especially using this sort of soft power of a political platform that might not necessarily be your like official jurisdictional authority over the city to, you know, make sure that our state delegation, for example, understands what our financial priorities are, where we need assistance from the state, what issues Newton is really leading on and prioritizing, making sure we get investment from the state on things like the MBTA and using that political platform to advocate for that change on the, on the state and federal level that'll allow local governments like Newton to do the things that we really want on the, you know, values of inclusivity and equity that we often espouse. And so I think what it's about is using that local hard power to build those coalitions about the ordinances and the bills that you can pass to affect the change that you can in the community you live in, but also using that that soft power and that political platform to advocate for change that's much, that's much bigger than you. Because Newton has the opportunity to be a leader on a lot of issues, climate, housing, racial justice, transit equity, you name it. And we have a responsibility to, you know, lift other communities up alongside us because we're a city blessed with a lot of, you know, financial resources, a great, you know, population. So I think there's sort of those two responsibilities. And I think building a good team is the number one, you know, sort of most important thing. One proposal that's listed on your website that caught my eye was lowering the voting age to 16. Uh, Massachusetts Congresswoman Ayanna Presley proposing Congress as part of HR1. Uh, it, it didn't get far, but it still lingers a lot in the in progressive circles and it's been taking up nationally. What is your argument for this? And what would you say to skeptics? Sure. So I've been actually working on Vote 16 for, for a while before I even ran for city council. There was a push in the last legislative session on the state level to pass the Empower Act, um, written by Harriet Chandler and Andy Vargas, which would have allowed cities and towns to lower their voting age their municipal voting age to 16 without needing to file a home rule petition through the state house. Um, we lobbied really hard for this bill. Unfortunately, it didn't get passed. But now this awesome thing is happening where a bunch of young organizers and leaders in our community through, you know, groups in our high schools like the Newton North um, Next Gen Voices or our city's youth commission have taken up vote 16 as an issue that they want to see through in Newton and have built this sort of team of counselors who are supporting them and would sort of initiate this home rule petition process. Um, I think it's really important. And I've already gotten so many questions from a lot of adults, especially even supporters who have just never really heard this issue before or thought about it that much. And I totally understand where the skepticism comes from. I think for me, what it's about is that, you know, we want to create lifelong voters, consistent voters. And right now, you know, allowing people to start voting at 18 is really the worst time you could do that um, because people register, they maybe vote once and then you go to you you go to college and the question becomes do you change your registration to where you live now do you keep your registration and try to vote absentee you know it just becomes more difficult as you get older to form that consistent habit when you start at 18 and when you start at 16 you can form that consistent habit throughout the end of high school and then already be sort of a consistent habitual voter well into adulthood um, which is good for you know not just civic engagement but I think political participation as a whole it makes our city more democratic and I think also young people have a lot at stake right now. A lot of these issues impact us more than more than anybody else. And we've also shown that we can step up and be political leaders and have taken on a lot of responsibilities, not to mention the fact that young people pay taxes. Um, and, you know, taxation without representation is a, an ideal that this country was founded on. And so I think it's about understanding that young people have the knowledge and 
you know, the responsibility that they need in order to cast a ballot. And, and that as a country, if we really value the democratic process, creating engaged citizens, this is an easy step. And it's also local elections. Like it, that's where, you know, the engagement should be the highest on the issues that affect you every single day and getting young people engaged on the local level is, is super important. So I think that's, that's really the crux of it. If elected, how will you ensure easy communication between you and the people you represent? Yes, this is a great one. So I think transparency and honesty and constituent services, all that are words that a lot of candidates running for office throw around a lot as something that's important. You kind of got to check that box. But I think for me, it's more than just making sure that you're communicative, because I think right now, even the ways that elected officials on the local level communicate with constituents is inadequate, because unfortunately, it takes a lot of privilege, a lot of time and even financial resources to be involved on the local level and to understand the issues at stake. And it's one thing to make, you know, city information accessible to people that they can like find what's going on, but it's another to make it digestible because I think another uh, another thing is that people get turned away by language that's not accessible, not to mention that, you know, people for whom English isn't their first language can't read or, or participate in a lot of city things. So I think it's about communicating on multiple fronts. You know, you need not just, you know, your, your newsletter to communicate with constituents to voice, you know, not just what city issues are going on, but when you make a decision, why you voted the way you did and how you're looking at stuff, because I think that's something people deserve to know whether or not they actually agree with your decision. Um, but it's also about pushing the boundaries of what's considered an acceptable place for communication, like social media, you need to meet young people where they are, which is on the internet, and posting, you know, infographics and, you know, keeping your DMs open opens those communication channels so much, allows young people to buy into the political process. And I think just something else that's really important to me in terms of keeping engagement is one of the few silver linings of the COVID-19 pandemic has been the way that virtual meetings and virtual public comment have just skyrocketed our city's political participation on the local level, especially for young people, for working parents who have kids. Um, and I think we should keep that, you know, after this pandemic's over, we should keep virtual public comment. We should make it easier for people to give input on a city issue because, you know, we should be doing everything in our power to make sure that residents not just feel, you know, like they're in the know, but that they have the power that they're, you know, they're given the agency to like shape that process themselves. So I think it's about really leaving no stone unturned and, and never thinking that any group is too unreachable um, because I think that's where you can really leave folks out and I would never want to do that. So you've talked about racial justice, you've talked about COVID-19, you've talked about the inter about how they intersect all these issues. What is, what is your plan? What is your plan for how to deal with these, these um, twin crises? So on racial justice and COVID, I think starting with the COVID-19 pandemic, I think cities like Newton, unfortunately, have been, I mean, cities and towns in general have been sort of left to go it alone by a lot of, you know, state and federal authorities who are really supposed to equip us with the understandings and the resources earlier on to do a better job. But that doesn't mean we can make excuses for the actions and inactions that we took. Um, and I think we need to stay vigilant in thinking about how you know we can support our local businesses, especially our local restaurants who have not been receiving the assistance that they need. And there are things that our city can do financially in terms of easing taxes and fees and providing grants, but also things that don't cost us anything like closing down streets, creating outdoor markets. We just have shown like a hesitancy, I think, to step up and lead and have seen neighboring communities. I live right near Waltham, you know, establish an outdoor market on Moody Street and that has saved, you know, that neighborhood. Um, so I think there's that component of it. It's about continuing to enforce the common sense public health precautions. 
making sure people have accurate information about how, you know, especially as the vaccine rollout continues to be kind of a mess, um, that people sort of know and have access to that information on when they can get an appointment, how, what rules are about masks and social distancing and, and dining and, and things like that. I think it's about continuing to protect senior citizens, which we know are really vulnerable right now, making sure, especially as we're in the colder months, people can get outside that we, you know, clear not just the streets, but the sidewalks and walkways, because right now outside is like a lifeline for so many people. It's the only place you can go. And then I think another really important area of COVID that also sort of intersects with racial justice is our schools and getting students back in school safely as soon as we possibly can with the guidance of all of the remarkable public health professionals we have in Newton, who unfortunately, you know, were only formally allowed to give their expertise, you know, rather recently. And I think it's important that we work diligently to get students back in school safely with adequate HVAC and surveillance testing and things like that. Um, but we also acknowledge that there are disparities in which families chose hybrid and which families chose DLA. Um, and that the families in DLA are disproportionately black and brown. And so we cannot put all of our eggs in the basket of hybrid and in-person learning when we know that our families of color do not see that as a safe or a viable option right now. And I think it's about co consistently being open and transparent about you know, the decisions we're making, making sure that whatever option families choose, there will be supports in place, not just for students, but for their families, especially as we consider the mental and emotional toll that this pandemic has taken. But I think that sort of understanding of the equity component as we think about schools is really important. And in terms of racial justice more specifically, I think racial justice and an understanding of racial equity has to guide every city issue that we do. We cannot allow ourselves to think about an issue isolated in terms of just housing or just transportation. We always need to think about that, you know, that project's implications or ramifications and how it would affect different segments of our population differently. Um, I think, you know, public safety is a big one in terms of how we enforce laws here in Newton. We have, you know, this ongoing police reform task force who are releasing their full recommendations in about a week and a half. And we need to have serious conversations about the fact that many residents of color do not see the Newton Police Department as a source of safety and how we as a city can move forward in a way that builds us a public safety apparatus for the time that we're in, for the 21st century. But I think it's more than just policing because the fact is, you know, we have decades of residential segregation that has led, you know, Newton to where we are now. We had deliberate redlining. We had the construction of the Mass Pike in 1962. We had discrimination by the VA in Oak Hill Park. And that has created the housing crisis that we have now. And I think there's an urgency to not just combat our housing shortage, but to make sure that as we build housing stock and we increase housing diversity, that we make sure that Newton understands that sort of consciousness that we have to we have to right a lot of wrongs. And so I think affordable housing through zoning redesign, through public investment is really, really important. Um, but even beyond housing, it's about our local economy, hiring you know, more teachers and municipal contractors of color, about helping residents of color start local businesses, because we know that on average, they're the first, you know, the last to really get that head start and get that assistance and the first to close when crises like, you know, COVID-19 strike. And so I think infusing every city initiative and, and issue that we talk about, even if it doesn't seem explicitly related to racial justice, with that understanding is crucial to how we move forward. So going through your resume, you've worked for March for Our Lives, you've worked at the Energy Department, you've gone out and campaigned for Elizabeth Warren, how, how are you going to bring your experience as an activist and more of um, more campaign work to Newton City Council? That's a great question. Um, I think I really bring a diverse skill set in sort of understanding life, you know, on the campaign trail and also, you know, in the legislative process, affecting change sort of as an advocate. 
And I know what it's like to try to build a coalition around a piece of legislation to advocate for that support, to shepherd that piece through, um, which will help me in the legislative process in terms of, you know, when to co-dock it and dock it and how to, you know, build a coalition around it. Um, but I think there's also that experience just working in the political sphere as a young person and really, you know, putting yourself out there and demanding a seat at the table is also really important. And I think it will shape the way that I govern. I think being a youth advocate, sort of working to affect change from the outside of the political process, there were so many adults, especially even elected officials who kind of do the fun, cute, like pat on the head thing where they're like, oh, it's so great. You guys are getting engaged, but I'm not actually going to listen or act on anything substantive that you say. And I think we kind of call BS on that. We're like, no, we're not a, like a photo op for you or like a fun, you know, thing you get to say, you talk to us. You have to give us a seat at the table and act on the things that we care about. And I think that's going to be integral to how I operate. Student advocacy groups and organizations are having us are going to have a seat at my table and they're going to be consulted when we think about a city matter because they deserve to be. Um, and I know that, you know, the importance of that. I think, you know, my work at the DOE is aligns more sort of with my academic interests, which I, I don't talk about as much. Um, but yeah, I study uh, government and energy and environment. And I'm really interested in the ways that, you know, we can use public policy as a way to further environmental justice and, you know, all of the different avenues that we can explore. I think at the DOE specifically, I worked on issues of state and local resilience, climate resilience to extreme weather events induced by climate change. And I think there's a big conversation that cities and towns have to be having about investing in that infrastructure to make our communities resilient to the natural disasters that we know are coming. Um, but there are ways we can invest in that resilience that capitalize on energy efficiency, on renewables, and that do it in the most sustainable way possible. And that actually, you know, save us money down the line. So I think that's another perspective that I'm really eager to bring. Um, but more than anything, I think growing up as part of Gen Z in this sort of activist generation, you just grow up with this consciousness of sort of responsibility of that, you know, there are a lot of really big issues for us to tackle. And, you know, we don't have the luxury of deciding now is not a good time or we'd rather wait. And so I think it's that sense of urgency that I really think has infused a lot of the work I've done in the past and would also sort of infuse itself into the work I would do on the council too. Do you have a political role model? Oh, I have so many political role models. Um, it's hard to choose just one. Um, I mean, Elizabeth Warren's a pretty obvious one because I worked for her. But I think one that I, 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 I got this question last night, actually, and the answer I gave, and I'll, I'll give it again, is Congresswoman Ayanna Presley from the 7th District. Not only is she like a badass legislator who knows what she's talking about and advocates for, you know, a ton of important issues, but I think particularly something I learned from her that I had never really seen in a politician before is that vulnerability is not a weakness, it's a strength. And I think in being open about your struggles, for her, it was, you know, sexual violence, alopecia, that doesn't make you weak. You know, it makes you a stronger leader that people can relate to and people who, you know, and allows people to see themselves in. And it, you know, informs you with better information and, and just understandings that'll influence the way you legislate. And so I've actually had the luxury of, of working with her and meeting her many times. And I think she is, is just, an unstoppable leader. And I think she has a very bright future ahead of her and I can't wait to see what else she does. But I think there are so many, you know, women in the political process who have paved the way for, you know, people like me to do this, to even run it all. Um, but I think if I had to pick one, it would be Ayana. Is there a single message that you have for Newton, a concise message you have for Newton? Yeah, I think my concise message would be, we need a Newton that works for everyone, not just a select few. 
And I think what I mean by that is, you know, my parents were both newspaper journalists and they moved to Newton right before I was born, bought the only house they could afford, this tiny beat up white house on a dead end street so that we could have access to the mobility and the opportunity that cities like Newton provide through schools, through public resources. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to do what my parents did. Very few families can do that because housing is becoming more expensive. And as we think about, you know, what kind of city we want to be, what kind of future we want to build, we need to think about how our city is slowly but surely closing and locking its doors. And we do not want to be that city that closes our doors. We want to be a city that welcomes with open arms young people who want to move back here to start families, families of color, immigrants, low-income households. We should be an open and welcoming community. And, you know, structural barriers in the way of that through housing, through transportation or otherwise need to be dealt with because we are trending in the wrong direction and we are coming becoming inaccessible for far too many. So your candidacy is not just for Newton, it is also for the Gen Zers of Newton and Mass- Great Massachusetts yeah. and the United States. And you know, the show Gen Zers Talk Politics, we're all about Gen Zers trying to make a difference. So what do you have to say to our audience, to yes. the oh, whole good. generation? Um, don't ask for permission. Um, you don't need adults to tell you that it's okay. Um, don't listen to people who tell you to wait your turn or that it's not time yet. There will be people, there will be naysayers and doubters. I've gotten so much, not just ageist, but sexist, you know, remarks or people, even from people who are very well-intentioned liberals who consider themselves, you know, on the right side of history, don't like that you are, your candidacy is inherently disruptive because of who you are. But you should never let that discourage you from standing up for the right things. Um, And you'll get that thicker skin. You'll learn how to deal with a lot of BS. But I think never, ever think that you need to wait before it's like socially acceptable for you to throw your hat in. Because like, I wouldn't be running if I had listened to people, you know, who said that. And sure, there are a lot of people who ask me dumb questions about, you know, me being a student and me not owning property in Newton. So how could I possibly understand, you know, the problems that our city's facing? But at the end of the day, you know, we should be welcoming candidates who who love the city, who want to learn, roll up their sleeves and get your, get our hands dirty, regardless of your age. And if you demonstrate that commitment, then people should welcome that. So I think don't, don't let people get you down. Don't take that seriously. And don't think you have to wait your turn because unfortunately the older generations have really messed it up for us. And there, there's not that much time to wait. You know, we don't have the luxury. I don't have the luxury of waiting 10 or 20 years when I finally get asked and I've gone to law school and I've done all these things for people to think it's acceptable to run. You know, the time is now, the leadership is here now, young people are here now. And so you got to just do it unapologetically. And you know, the people who are the naysayers will see eventually that they were on the wrong side of history and they'll come around. Maddie Rinaldi, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a wonderful interview. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was great. Make sure to vote to the election March 16th. You're also able to vote in person or by mail if you choose. Um, you can also vote early at City Hall or you can vote in person on election day, whatever you want to do. Make sure to visit renaliforneuton.com. That's www.r-a-n-a-l-l-i-fornewton.com. Yes, or check us out on social media at Renali for Newton. And that concludes this episode of Gen Zers Talk Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zers Talk Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zers Talk Poly with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us and we hope to see you next time.